morning. Uh, it has been said that Galatians is Paul's angriest letter. It does not start with any great compliment or any great encouragement, as most of the other letters do. Paul here is dealing with issues that get him really, really worked up. Really, really quite angry. Paul is not a happy bunny when he writes the book of Galatians. And there are two main issues that are concerning Paul and that dominate this whole letter. One is the truth of the seriously good news, the gospel. And second is his own authority as an apostle. Right? Now, he was not concerned for his own authority because he wanted to be important or because he had an ego or because people would think highly of him, but because as far as the Galatians were concerned and to a lesser extent because, as far as we are concerned, Paul was the authority about what the gospel was all about. Now, remember, it is thought that Galatians was the first letter ever written of the New Testament. And it was written a long time before any of the Gospels were written. So in a sense, what Jesus did and said was still pretty much hearsay. It had not been recorded by those who'd witnessed it, uh, nor recorded by uh, those who had talked to those who witnessed it. So Paul's authority was crucial. When we read Galatians, we have four Gospels that we can read. We have other works of Paul. We have things by Peter and James and Jude and all sorts of things. But the Galatians didn't have any of that. Didn't have any of that at all. Paul is cross with the Galatians because they're listening to other teachers, false teachers. <coughs> These false teachers had various names. Some of them were called, sometimes they were called Judaizers. Sometimes uh, they were called the Circumcision Party. They had various names. But these false teachers were people who had come to faith in Jesus, but were from a Jewish background. And they wanted to add things. They thought they were special. They were the people of God. They were rescued by God from Egypt by the miracle of the Red Sea. God's revelation had come uh, to them on Mount Sinai. Moses had brought the law to them. They were Jews. Their Jewishness and their culture and their customs and all, that was important. They wanted to add some Jewishness into the requirements of the serious good news. And Paul was always fighting for the truth of the gospel, of the seriously good news. Never more so than in this letter. And it dominates this book in the New Testament. And it's an issue of, of the truth of the gospel which is going to come back to you again and again and again and again over the next two or three months. You're not going to be, get a, be able to get away from it uh, when you read uh, the book of Galatians. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel is, I preach 
is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul, you're making up all these false claims. You've just made it up. You had a bad dream after too much cheese, Paul. Uh, you, it wasn't a revelation from Jesus, as you say. It goes against all that God has said through the Old Testament scriptures. That's what the false teachers were saying. And to answer these attacks, Paul tells his own story. In the verses that we're going to look at today, it's a bit of an autobiography, in a way, uh, which is great. This is what happened to me, and there are still some people around who can confirm a lot of this, uh, he says. In fact, we know some of it from other things, like we've just heard, uh, uh, don't we? And that's the first application point I want to make today from all this. Have confidence to tell your own story. I just want to remind you and myself that telling our own story is one of the most important things and powerful things we can do in evangelism. We are called to be witnesses. What is a witness? A witnesser is someone who tells what he's seen and heard. That's what we've got to be. And you can't easily argue with someone's story. It's happened to me. People can't usually say it didn't. Anyway, Paul starts by talking about his story. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, how intensely I persecuted the Church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the transitions, traditions of my fathers. This young Paul, I suppose we should call him Saul at this stage because he changed his name, but let's get away from this. I'm going to call him Paul throughout, all right? Okay, or else it just gets so complicated. This young Paul was a high flyer in Jewish circles. He was this new young firebrand. He was extremely zealous for the faith. He was advancing beyond his years, we are told. He was top of the class in Sanhedrin school. He got top marks in all subjects. He was seen as being the person, the up-and-coming person. This is the guy that's really going to go somewhere and make a difference. And he showed his commitment and his passion by aggressively persecuting the church. And no one could argue with that. No one could argue with that. They knew him. He was the talk of the town, and the Christians lived in fear of him. And then we know the story of Paul's conversion, and we heard it earlier on, uh, it, on the uh, soundtrack. And Paul summarizes it in, in just these few words. And when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, do you see the difference there? <clears throat> Notice the difference. I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond my years. But God set me apart. God 
called me by his grace. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. That difference is, 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 is striking, isn't it? If someone comes to faith, it is not that they decide to follow Jesus. It's not that they decide to give Christi this Christianity thing a go. It's not that they try, go to church and try it out. They, they may think that. But it's the work of God by his spirit in their lives, heart and mind. When you and I do a bit of evangelism and start sharing our faith, it might be a positive or a negative contribution, depending on all sorts of circumstances. But ultimately, it's God's work. God, by his spirit, challenges people. God, by his spirit, convicts people. God, by his spirit, gives them the gift of faith and of new life. Sometimes through visions and dreams. Sometimes through, occasionally, I suppose, through arguments often through this nagging, nagging fear that just won't go away. Yeah? So is anything too difficult for God? Is any body too difficult for God? No. no. And that's the second sort of application point. There's no one who is too difficult for God. <clears throat> Do you know anyone like a sort of a Paul-type person? A vehemently opposed person? person who's vehemently opposed to the, gospel, to the gospel. Maybe a fanatical atheist, someone who's a follower of Richard Dawkins or someone like that. Or, or maybe an extreme Muslim, uh, someone who preaches violence and supports maybe what happened in Sri Lanka recently. Maybe a dedicated humanist, someone who believes that we're nothing more than intelligent animals and all that sort of stuff. Uh, do you know someone like that? Have you heard of someone like that? They couldn't possibly come to faith, could they? They're people who can answer any question that you have. They have an answer to it. These people can come to faith. Paul did. And if Paul did, anybody can. Okay, Paul's talked about his pre-conversion, he's talked about his conversion, and now he talks about what happened after his conversion. <clears throat> I did not consult any man, did I, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see these who were apostles before me, but I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that, I am writing, that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now, it's not very clear. Um, oh, hold on, sorry. I didn't know you had to do that. Okay, it's not very clear about some of these trips that Paul made. Uh, you see on there, there, there are four trips that uh, uh, Paul made to Jerusalem that we know about anyway, after his conversion. One in AD 37, and these dates are a bit dodgy too. I mean, it's thereabouts, you know, give or take, give or take a little bit. Okay, he goes to Jerusalem uh, in 37, he goes again in 47, uh, because of a famine, he goes in 49, the Council of Jerusalem, and he goes again much later, towards the end of his life, when he goes uh, off to Rome. Now, we, we've just heard the story from Acts chapter 9. 
So we know that Paul, immediately after his conversion, he went into Damascus, didn't he? Because he was blind, right? He met this guy, Ananias, who's one of the people I want to meet when I get to glory, I tell you. He's an amazing guy. I mean, he met Ananias, right? He then says, <coughs> uh, he then went to Arabia. Very soon after that, he went to Arabia. In fact, Galatians says he went immediately. So it must have been within days or certainly a week or two. All right? He, he went uh, to Arabia. Let's go back to the... Let's go... Hold on a minute. I'm not quite sure where I want to be here. <laughs> no, not that. Oh, right. Oh, hold on. <coughs> um, now... Okay, he went, he went to Arabia. Now, Arabia may not have been very far because there were parts of Arabia that were actually quite near. It may have been quite a long way. We don't quite know, know where he went. But he went there for a period of time, certainly less than three years, probably a one year, maybe a bit more. We, we, we don't know exactly uh, how, how long he was there all the time because we know he came back to Damascus. Um, and what did he do to, to go to uh, Arabia to do? Probably not evangelism, probably not missionary work. He, he was probably there meditating, listening, primarily listening to God. <clears throat> what, 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 would, what would he have thought about as he was uh, listening to God? Well, Old Testament scriptures. He knew them well. He, he had been taught them. So he knew the Old Testament scriptures. Facts also about the life and death of Jesus. Uh, he knew something about that. I mean, he'd been persecuting the Christians, and when you persecute someone, you do know something about what you're persecuting, generally. So he knew something about that. What about the sermon of Stephen? I bet he was thinking about that. Do you remember Stephen, the first martyr? Uh, Paul was there. He was holding the clothes of those who were doing the stoning. He heard that sermon. I bet he thought about that. His, his, his experience on the road into Damascus, uh, I bet he knew about that as well. Uh, and I bet he was thinking about that and about the grace of God. He was listening to God in Arabia. That is where God spoke to him. The seriously good news was revealed to him. He makes this point very clearly that he did not receive it from any human Input. Now, I really do need to get the right text on the wall here, but I'm not sure. Do you, do you know what number that is or anything? I had it all numbered in PowerPoint. <laughs> okay, anyway. <coughs> my, my, my third application point is this. We need to make time to listen to God. Paul was not like us. He was one of the genuine first-generation apostles, and God speak, spoke to him in a special way and gave him a very particular authority, as Andy said uh, a few weeks ago. But the principle of hearing from God is the same. We have to listen to God too, and that takes time. We might not have three years to commit to it, but we have to commit time. We have more to meditate on in many ways than Paul did. 
Do you and I give God time to speak? Do we give ourselves time to listen? I'm trying to... Oh, right. How do I go up in that one? How do I go up that one? Right, okay. We're almost there, I think. Okay. Uh, It says there, after three years, presumably three years after his conversion, he goes to Jerusalem. But he plays it down. He plays it down. He says, I only went for 15 days. Nothing much at all, he said. I only saw Peter, and in fact, I only saw him to make an acquaintance. He uses that word. He, he makes the acquaintance uh, with Peter. Oh, I bumped into James too, but, you know. Uh, and I saw nothing of the other apostles. Uh, now, I- I'm sure he must have talked a bit of theology with Port Peter, because you can't go to that sort of situation and not, can you, really? But what he's making the point here is that Peter didn't set up an alpha course for him. Peter didn't set up a short freedom for Christ course or anything like that to check him out. No, he's playing that down. That that did not happen. He's trying to emphasise the point that this sincerely uh, good news he preached did not come to him from any other apostle but directly from God through revelation. What he preached was confirmed by the other apostles later on, as we shall see, but God spoke directly to him. His first, uh, this, his special apostleship, this as a first generation apostle, came directly from his meeting Jesus on the road just outside Damascus and through the direct teaching and education of God the Holy Spirit while he was in Arabia. John Stott summarised it it like this. The fanaticism of his pre-conversion career, the divine initiative of his conversion, and the total, almost total isolation from the Jerusalem church leaders afterwards, together combined to demonstrate that his message was not from man, but from God. The apostle is able to confirm and guarantee it by a solemn affirmation, I assure you before God, that what I am writing to you is no lie. And that should be up there somewhere. It, very, at the very bottom. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on. Oh, preliminary. Right. <laughs> and that's my fourth application point. <clears throat> um, you, no, sorry. Okay. Then later he goes on into Syria and... Seleucia. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? They, they were up north. And Paul comes from Tarsus, yes? Tarsus is in Seleucia. Okay. So Paul is a northern boy and Paul's going home. Likely to be mainly for security reasons. <coughs> because, well, he was well known in Jerusalem and Damascus and he was well known to the Jews who now saw him as something of a traitor and by the Christians, uh, some of whom were probably still not very sure about him. The news didn't spread very well without social media, you see. Uh, Although it says there that many Christians praised God because of him. Isn't that lovely? Many Christians praised God because of him. Do you, fourth application point, do you praise God and pray for Christians in the limelight? Who do you praise God for? Are you into football? 
Jürgen Klopp? Eddie Howe? David Luiz? William? They're all believers. If you're not in football, what about uh, Bear Grylls? What about Jeremy Vine? Do you praise God for these folk and pray for their testimony in a world which is much more difficult than Paul's because of social media, I suppose? See, Paul was able to go home. Maybe have some good old mother's cooking. I don't know. Probably. And get away from all those who opposed him, who didn't understand him. But Christians in the spotlight today don't have that sort of option. Now we move into, 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 into chapter 2. 14 years later, he says, <coughs> I went up to Jerusalem, and this time with Barnabas. I took t- uh, Titus also along. Now, the theologians are a little bit uh, not united about which of the Jerusalem uh, trips uh, this was. Um, no, that's not right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, it could have been. Uh, it could have been when he went to the Council of Jerusalem uh, in AD forty-nine, but most theologians think that it was earlier than that in nineteen forty-seven. And um, here's the. Let's read it again. Fourteen years later, I went up to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running, uh, or I was running, or had run my race in vain. See, I think this was probably the earlier uh, visit because, first of all, we, he says he takes Titus along. Now, Titus was significant. He, he, he was a Greek believer. That was significant. And if he'd be taking him along to the, 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 uh, to the council in Jerusalem, I think we would have heard about Titus, but we didn't. Secondly, we, we read that Paul went in response to a revelation. Now, we know that for the council of Jerusalem, he was sent, he was commissioned. He was, you go and sort yourself out, Paul, and explain what you're doing. And then thirdly, we we read here that when he went, he consulted people privately, it says. Well, Council of Jerusalem wasn't a private event. That was a big event. That was a formal event. That was a big debate going on. So I think it was. But if we we accept that, whether you accept it or not, and have a look at it and see what you think. But what it says is that this issue of these Judaizers, Uh, what they're suggesting, kept coming back. It wasn't something Paul dealt with and it was finished. It it came back again and again and again throughout throughout, uh, his ministry. And my fifth application point is this. Be humble rather than arrogant. You see, the point Paul is making is that God spoke directly to him, not through other people, yeah? He didn't make it up. And he didn't hear from any other human beings. So in a sense, he had a right to be arrogant. But he wasn't. He consulted. And he consulted for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Now, if Paul, the apostle, wanted to consult and check things out, 
how much more important that we do. Some parts of the Bible and some truths are really quite easy, aren't they, to understand, we think. But, but there are an awful lot that aren't. There are a lot of things that are really quite difficult. We need to consult. We need to ask our other brothers and sisters. Sometimes we need to ask an expert. We need to be careful about we are, what we are dogmatic about. Paul heard from God, wanted to check it out, and so should we. So let's recap uh, and repeat again. What was the issue? What was Paul fighting for? We're going to understand the, increasingly this as we go through this book of Galatians. The good news, the seriously good news that Jesus brought and that Peter and Paul taught obviously had a foundation in Judaism, didn't it? The Old Testament scriptures were still important. It was based on faith and Abraham is the great champion, uh, the hero of faith. And after all, Jesus was a Jew. Of course, it had so much Jewish things. And some people uh, who came to believe in the faith in Jesus from a Jewish background didn't want to abandon that. And the two things that were most important was male circumcision and following some of the laws of Moses. And so they wanted these non-Christian, these non-Jewish Christians, like Titus, they wanted them to be circumcised. They wanted them to follow some of the laws of Moses. But did, Paul did not want these new believers, who were not Jews, to be slaves of a system, to fit into a ritual, or to, or to follow a group of religious practices. He wanted them to enjoy uh, freedom in Christ. Now, let's see if we can find the next bit here. Yes, we can. Well done. Not even Titus, it says. Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false teachers, here we are, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So Paul won the case on this occasion. He obviously convinced some of those uh, who opposed him and the others kept quiet or went away. Let's read uh, the end of the passage if we can find it up here. That's pretty good I think. <clears throat> As for those who seem to be important, whatever uh, they were makes no difference to me. God does not sh judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who is at work in, in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the, Gen the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, whose reputation to be pillars, gave me the, and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Almost got it all on there. Paul managed to maintain the truth of the sincerely good news. Um, well, Titus didn't have to be circumcised. Really good. He was given the right hand of fellowship, which means they agreed with him and they wanted to support him. And, and Paul, uh, 
Paul's ministry to the Gentiles was accepted and in fact made equal with Peter's, meet, uh, uh, Peter's work uh, ministry to the Jews. So that was, that was uh, really good. But throughout history, you know, the church, throughout the history of the church, people have wanted to add things to the gospel. People generally don't like getting things for nothing. They can't, they want something that they can't, they don't like something they can't earn. Or at least they want to contribute to their salvation. They, they don't like just having to throw themselves on the mercy of God and accept his faith and grace. People don't like something for nothing. And throughout the history of the church, people have wanted to introduce something. Now, Oh, right, good. These are the application points that we've made so far, <clears throat> and which I, I want you to be encouraged to have confidence to tell your story more. Secondly, I want you to realise that no one is too difficult for God. Thirdly, I want you to make time to listen to God. You know, we, we've finished spiritual disciplines we've done. We don't bother about spiritual disciplines anymore. They're, they've passed, you know? They're still important. And listening to God was certainly one of those. Fourth, I want you to praise God and praise and pray for Christians in the limelight. And I want you to realise that humility is really important. But there's one other application point that's not just related to this chapter, but this passage, but related to the whole of Galatians. As we said, the Jews in Paul's day wanted to require new believers to be circumcised and to keep the laws of Moses. Now, no one in our culture is going to want uh, male believers to be circumcised. But, what do we today put in the place of that? What are we tempted to put in the place of circumcision and, and the other things? How often have you heard people say, oh, God wouldn't be interested in me, I'm not good enough. Somehow, in many people's minds, we have added to the seriously good news the need to be good enough. That's a general thing. But there are lots of other little specific things uh, that we need to identify as we go through Galatians that we as Christians, uh, maybe unintentionally, have added to the gospel. Some things we've added which can be quite helpful. Some of the practices during Lent have been quite helpful to lots of Christians and have not been against the gospel at all. But there are a lot of other things as well that are dangerous, that are unhelpful, that stop people coming to faith and stop us as we seek to hold on to the truth of this sincerely good news. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask, Father, that you will help us to have confidence to tell our story, to realise that no one 
However aggressive they are is too difficult for you. Help us to make time to listen to you. Help us to praise God and pray for Christians who are in the limelight. Help us to be humble rather than arrogant. And help us, Lord, as we go through this series to identify things that we or other people in the church have added to the gospel in the same way that these opponents of Paul added things to the gospel in his day. Help us to identify what they are and remove them from any understanding or any explanation of the gospel that we might give. We ask it in Jesus' name.